I really want you to open your Bibles. 1 Peter chapter 4, the Blue Pew Bibles, the Blue Pew Bibles, page 1016. 1016. If we come here and do not look at God's word, we are not getting the most out of our worship time together. So I'm going to be patient. 1 Peter chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 7 through 11, and you can follow along with me. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. Thank you. Here we go. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. 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 For God's glory. That's why we're here. We're here to glorify God. One day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Might as well do it now, right? And glorify him with our lives. So it's good to see you uh, this evening. Just excited to be able to bring uh, God's word uh, from First Peter here, chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. And if you've been with us now for any length of time, especially over the summer, uh, we've been in a series uh, that is going through the one another's the one another's of Scripture. And I always like to give a little bit of a recap as I begin my messages to kind of set up where we're going tonight, where we're going in this message. So if you don't remember where we've been or if you're only joining us for the first time, we've been looking at these one another statements throughout the New Testament, which are commands. They are commands found in Scripture. And it's important, at least in my mind, to remember that all of these commands that we read about, all of these commands that we've been preaching through are really summed up in Jesus's command found in John chapter 13, verse 34, which is to love one another as I have loved you. That is the ultimate command, right? That is the ultimate one another, if you will, to love one another as I have loved you. Pastor Tim started this series off preaching from that verse, from that command, from Jesus, and it functions as the umbrella for this entire series that we've been in. And all of the other commands that we read about line up underneath of that command to love one another. We are called to love one another, amen? No matter how hard that might be. We need to love each other. We need to be a community and a church that grows deeper and deeper in love with Christ and ultimately deeper in love with one another. And what I've found most interesting about the, this series is that these statements, like I've already alluded to, are commands. 
So let's start with that command that we just read, the, the command to love one another. Have you ever been able to make yourself love anyone? Or have you ever been able to make yourself love somebody who you dislike or even hate? Have you ever really been able to change your feelings in any way, shape, or form? Sure, over time, as you grow, as you mature, as you age, and as you learn how to cope with life, maybe you soften, maybe life softens you a little bit, and you can feel more sympathy towards people or whatever. But at the end of the day, we can't make ourselves do anything that we don't want to do. It's impossible, seemingly impossible. So with this reality in mind, I want to let you off the hook tonight. I want to let you off the hook before we even begin. Before we even get started, I want to let you kind of make your exit now. If you don't want to do what God's Word commands you to do, don't do it. If there isn't a desire in you to do what God commands you to do in Scripture, don't do it. Live life the way that you want to live life, and you'll get more of what you've already got. And you can build your little kingdom here on earth, and you can live happily ever after, at least for as long as your life lasts, right? So if you don't have a desire to do what it is that God is commanding you to do, don't try to force it. Sure, you could listen to what I have to say and do it begrudgingly, making yourself obedient to God's word. See how that works out for you. But that would be of no value to you or to the people that you're serving because it's your heart that God is after. God wants obedience from the heart, not just in your actions. He actually wants you to want to obey His Word. Isn't that beautiful? I find that super encouraging. God actually wants you to desire to obey Him. God wants you to desire to do what He commands of us in His Word. So if you're still looking to get out of your responsibility, because we are responsible, these are commands after all, of believers, of Christians, and of followers of Christ, if you're still looking to get out of your responsibility to fulfill God's commands, here's your exit. You can get off this ramp here. My only ask is that you would question your desires. Why don't I want to do what God commands in Scripture. And therein lies the rub. Why don't I want to do what God asks of me to do? Why do I insist on having my own way? Why do I insist on being God of my own life? Why do I always do what I want to do as opposed to what God asks or expects or wants of me? The question then becomes, how? How do I learn to desire to do what God commands me to do in Scripture? And I would say, now we're asking the right question. Because we discussed this all the way back at the beginning of summer. 
The only way to succeed as a believer in following the commands of God. Can I, can I let you in on a little secret? God actually wants you to be successful in your Christian walk. Isn't that crazy? God actually expects that you would succeed and overcome and be victorious. We don't hear that very often because we're so beat down with this feeling of I can never be good enough that we don't realize God actually expects us to follow his commands and that over the course of our lives and over the course of maturing in our faith that you and I actually will succeed at this one day. That we will, as James tells us, become mature and complete, lacking nothing. Yes, we have our flesh that we have to put up with until Christ returns and we won't be made like him until we see him face to face. But you should see in your life your character and your life becoming more and more like the person of Christ. God does expect that you will be successful in your Christian faith and that you will become more like Christ. So how? How does this happen? The only way to succeed is by beholding Jesus, by observing his life and allowing the love of Christ to fill your hearts so full that you become more and more like him, that you begin to love others the way that you understand Christ has loved you. Man, if Christ has loved me to the degree of accepting me and loving me and, and forgiving my sins and putting his spirit in me so that I might actually be obedient to his commands, if God loves me that much, I'm changed and I'm made more like him so that I would love others the same way that he has loved me. Scripture says it better than I can. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Christian, how long have you been walking with God? Can you say that you are being transformed into the image of Christ? Not in leaps and bounds, not overnight. This isn't microwavable meal, right? But over the course of your life, can you see the fruit of the Spirit at work in your life? Can you see how God is making you more like his son? Can you see, in fact, that God is replacing your fleshly desires with his desires so that you actually find within yourself the want to, as Pastor Tim would say, to do what you ought to? Do you actually love the law of God? And do you want to live for him all the days of your life. So now with that out of the way, we're going to look at these verses that Mike had just read for us and we're going to study them and see what it is the Father expects of us with the belief that through the Spirit's power, this is something that we will see accomplished in our lives and in our church. Do you believe that? That what 
Mike just read a few moments ago, to be hospitable to one another without complaining. That's the hard part, isn't it? Do you expect that God is actually going to cause you and I to become a church who is welcoming and hospitable to others? Or do you feel like there's no chance? Well, let's stop for a moment and let's pray. And let's ask God through his word, right, to make us more like Christ. Let's do that. Father, I thank you, God, for your word here in 1 Peter. God, if we're honest, sometimes we read your word, we don't understand it, we walk away, and nothing's changed. But God, we know that your word is alive and that your word has the power to transform. And so God, as we look at your word together as a community this evening, I pray, Father, that you would help it sink into our bones. God, that you would help us to love one another as Christ has loved us. God, that you would make us a church that is welcoming to one another, who loves one another, and who is hospitable to one another. I pray that you would cause us, Lord, to believe that it's possible. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So there's several statements actually found in these verses that we read. I'm going to read it again quickly just to refresh our memory. But it says that the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Christ Jesus. God, I pray that you be glorified this evening through the worship of your people to the gathering of your saints. I pray that you be glorified and not allow any distraction of the enemy to prevent what it is that you're trying to do. God, I pray that you be glorified as we gather together and sit underneath of the teaching of your word for Jesus Christ. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen? Amen. So there's several of these commands that we see in these verses, but we're going to hone in on verse 9, but I can't just do that. That'd be too easy. There's some context that we need as we look at what it means to be a church that's hospitable to one another without grumbling. So we're going to look at several of these verses together, and we're going to learn how we can be a church that is welcoming. So let me begin by saying first that many of you are incredible at this. Can I just encourage you? If you're wearing one of these shirts, come on, you're doing it. God is using you to serve his church, to serve people who are in need, to serve and to love each other. God is, it's okay, you're doing it too. I, know, I heard you last week, you testified up here of what God is doing in your life, amen? God's using you. God's doing a work in your life, right? God is working in our lives. And there are many of you 
who are already doing this, who open up your lives, who open up your homes, and I want to commend you as it's obvious that this is a desire that has been placed in your hearts by your Father. God is working in our church. Do you believe that? God is doing a work in this church. I get to see it every week, and he's doing a work in your lives. So before examining this command more closely, consider what Peter says at the beginning of verse 7. We can't skip over the fact that Peter begins this section by saying the end of all things is at hand. Right? We can't blow past that. I mean, what a statement. The end of all things is at hand. So how are we just going to blow past that statement without acknowledging it? Is Peter a doomsday prepper? Is he like this post-apocalyptic Mad Max kind of character? Not at all. In fact, quite the opposite. And I think this is important for us to understand, especially given the culture that we're in with all of these self-proclaimed prophets on Facebook and YouTube who are constantly churning out clickbait, causing people to live in fear. That is not what Peter is doing here. He's saying the end of all things is at hand, so this is then how you should live. He's not causing people to be whipped up into a frenzy, to run around like a chicken with their head cut off. As a matter of fact, he's saying the opposite. He's saying we should be excited because the fulfillment of our inheritance is on the horizon. We should be more focused and more dialed in, more calm, cool, and collected than ever before. When Peter says that the end of all things is at hand, he clearly isn't speaking chronologically. If he was, explain to me why then 2,000 years have passed since his writing. Peter is rather speaking theologically. We believe in the imminency of Christ's return. We believe that at any moment, Jesus could show up, right? And that in that moment when Christ returns is when we will receive our eternal inheritance. And it's okay for us to look forward to that and to be excited for that day. Peter is referring to the fact that we are now in the final chapter of God's plan for creation. And when that chapter is complete, Jesus will return and he will establish his rule and reign. From a historical perspective, you and I are in fact living in the end times. Sounds like a movie, doesn't it? Don't let that freak you out. So to help us not lose our cool, Peter gives us instructions on how we should live, considering the times that we are in. And he gives us five instructions on how to do this. And the first two are very similar. He begins by saying we should be self-controlled and sober-minded. Essentially, he is saying that we need to keep our wits about us, that we need to be level-headed and think with a clear mind. So what does that look like exactly? It means that we don't get caught up in the things of this world. If we are, in fact, living in the last days, we are and we should realize that like what Paul says in 1 Corinthians, that the present form of this world is passing away. Everything you own is the stuff of future garbage dumps. 
no matter how nice of a car you drive, 10 years from now, someone will buy it for a quarter of the price. No matter how big your home is, right? And again, God has given us, Paul tells Timothy this in 1 Timothy, he says that God has given us all things to enjoy. It's okay to enjoy the life that God has given you, right? That's okay. But be sober-minded. Be clear about this. That the present form of this world is, in fact, passing away. This should cause us not to run around screaming in the streets, repent for the end draws near. Rather, it simply informs how we should raise our families, how we should work. We don't work for our own gain. We work for the glory of God so that people can see how Christians operate with integrity in the workplace, how they should be some of the hardest working people, the most honest people. It should inform how we interact with others and function within our communities. We are on a mission. When we're sobered by this reality, it causes us to be clear about who we are and what it is that we're here to do. And our priorities should align with that reality. Additionally, it informs then how we should pray. For the sake of your prayers, he says, be sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. What do your prayers sound like? God, I need this. God, I need that. God, I want this. God, this is what I think my life should look like. Or is it, God, regardless of my circumstances, would you use it to bring glory to your name? Father, if you've given me a job where I've got influence, God, would you help me to use that job to bring glory to your name in the workplace? Lord, if I lose my job, Father, would you use that circumstance even to strengthen me, to mature me, to prepare me for how I might bring glory to your name? No matter the circumstance that you're in, if we are in fact living in the last days, we ask that God would align our priorities with his priorities as opposed to whatever it is that we're hoping to get out of this life. Because I can promise you, it pales in comparison to the inheritance that we have in Christ Jesus. Right? Man, God, help us to want what you want. Help us to desire what it is that you desire. Next, Peter says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. So what is earnest love? It is defined as action-oriented love. It is constant. It is a love that is consistent, unrelenting. We need to love one another actively and consistently. We can't afford to allow our love for one another to fade or to grow cold. Closely related to loving one another is the idea that we need to be, be willing to forgive one another. If you ever loved anyone, you know as well as I do in your relationships that when they say or do something that hurts you, it is love that overcomes the offense. So how deep is your relationship with your brother and sister in Christ? If they offend you or give you a nasty look and immediately it's like, I want nothing to do with that person, it's pretty shallow. 
But if you're willing to get close enough with each other in relationship, there's bound to be friction, personality problems, issues. They're going to, at some point, rub you the wrong way. But do you love each other in such a way that you can overcome that offense? I love what one commentator said. Her name is Karen Jobes, says, the love that covers a multitude of sins is probably best understood as a forbearance that does not let wrongs done within the Christian community come to their most full, uh, their fullest and most violent expression. That is to say, if we truly have love for one another, we won't allow bitterness to take root by which many are defiled and cause a destruction to our relationships or to affect our community of faith. Did you hear me? There's going to be times when someone says or does something that offends you, and you're going to be tempted to make sure everybody knows that the playing field is leveled. Did you hear what so-and-so said? Do you know what you're doing to the body when you do that? You are undermining and you're allowing the enemy to get a foothold. Man, well, I don't care. Like, that's a reflection on God. And the world is watching us. And if they see that we're no better than they are, church, that's a problem. We can't allow the offenses that we experience in the church to be expressed in their most violent form. We have to protect, not at the sake of hiding sin or not the sake of overlooking, right? That's not what we're talking about, right? Christ died for those things. You know what I mean? Like something had to be done. There was a price that needed to be paid. There is repentance and forgiveness available. Those things should absolutely be brought into the light. But if we just hold on to things that allow us to become bitter, we do a disservice to ourselves and to the body of Christ. So finally, finally, we come to the one another statement that we're looking at today. But we need the rest of the con but we needed the rest of the context to fulfill the command in verse 9. We are to be hospitable to one another without complaining. In the very next verse, Peter begins talking about gifts. Interestingly, hospitality is always mentioned near the list of gifts that are given to the church, but it is never mentioned as a gift. This means that hospitality is something that we should all grow and practice in our lives, grow in and practice in our lives. When we look at what it means to be hospitable, I love the definition. It means to love strangers. That is what we all are to each other, aren't we? Maybe not anymore. But if you look around the room, the only reason that you know each other, the only reason that you love one another is because Christ has brought us together. It's to love strangers. 
God has given you a family, has he not? And it's found in one another. So according to Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, as we have opportunity, it says, let us do good to everyone, especially those of the household of faith. Similarly, we are to be hospitable to everyone, but as it relates to this passage, we are to be most hospitable to each other. At the time of Peter's writing, hospitality was critical to the spread of the gospel. As teachers and apostles and missionaries made their way from town to town, they relied on the hospitality of fellow believers to house them and to care for them. Consider Paul during his missionary journeys, how hospitable the church was to him and how critical they were to completing his mission. Paul would have been a stranger to many of these churches, but because of their common bond in Christ, it united them. And oddly enough, the same is true for us as well. There is no way this group would ever have come together without our common bond in Christ. And consequently, some of your best friends and most meaningful relationships have come from being a part of this community. Or at least I should hope so. If not, we're doing something wrong. And that's where I'd like to lean in just a little bit. Just as the mission depended on the hospitality of the early church, so the mission depends upon your hospitality as well. You know, I can't tell you every week I get stressed out after Sunday afternoon because I think I, couldn't, I didn't get a chance to say hi to so-and-so. Or I saw a new couple there and I didn't get the chance to introduce them. What if they never come back again? And I feel that stress and I know Pastor Tim does and I know Pastor Tony feels that same. Guess what, church? You can say hi to them too. You can take that responsibility on yourself as well. You can make sure to go out of your way to make sure that nobody comes through those doors or leaves this church without being said hi to or without being cared for. That's just as much your responsibility as it is my responsibility or anybody who stands on this stage. We can grow in this. No matter who you are, I know you're thinking, well, how can I be hospitable if I don't have much to share? You can be hospitable with your time and you can be hospitable with your words. Some of us come here on Saturday nights for a meal. You know how you can be hospitable? At the end of the night, you can grab a rag and you can wipe down one of the tables. At the end of the night, you can grab a trash bag and take it out to the dumpster. You want a t-shirt like this? We'll give you a t-shirt like this. You can use the gifts that God has given you just as much as anybody else. We can all learn how to be hospitable and to grow to become a community that is loving and that is welcoming. It doesn't matter what your gifts are. This is a command for all of us. And I get it, there are obstacles to our hospitality. Sometimes people take advantage of us, don't they? And we don't want to be burned, do we? Think about Christ. Think about his example. If you are serving in the strength that God has given you, you'll be able to take the hit. But if you're serving in your own strength and in your own ability, you'll want to give up. 
and you'll serve begrudgingly, and you'll whine, and you'll complain because you're doing it in your own strength. And can I be honest? Then just don't do it. But stop for a second and ask yourself the question, but why? Why don't I want to love others the way that Christ has loved me? So lastly, Peter then talks about how we need to learn how to steward God's varied grace. I don't know what gift God has given you, but rest assured, God has given you a gift. Peter breaks it down into two categories. He talks about uh, speaking gifts, and he talks about serving gifts. What the worship team did up here this evening, what Mike had done, what I'm doing now, what Pastor Tim does, sure, they're speaking gifts, but they're meant to motivate those of you who have serving gifts to actually do what God's word commands us to do. You guys provide the horsepower. This ain't nothing what I'm doing up here. I'm telling you, it doesn't matter much if we don't take what we hear on Sunday and apply it to Monday, right? You're the ones who make it happen. You're the ones who take what you hear from here and actually make a difference in the communities that we are a part of. God has given you gifts. It's guaranteed you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that God has prepared in advance for you to do. God does not make mistakes. God does not put extra parts in the bag. He's given you a gift and you can use that gift no matter how little or how great. The only thing you're asked to do is to be faithful. So I wanna make this really practical for you. There are several ways that we can do this right now. Ways that we can become more hospitable with the strength that God provides. You already heard me say it tonight. Grab a rag, put chairs away. Help take the plates from somebody's table that you're sitting at and put it in the trash. That is you using your gift. That is you being a loving and a hospitable community. Or invite someone out for lunch this weekend. Maybe your house is a mess and you got dishes in the sink and you don't want to bring them over. Invite them out to lunch. Or plan a night to have somebody come over to your home. I have a crazy idea. This, you're not going to like this one. Show up at somebody's house this week with coffee in your hand. Don't stay long. Don't you do it. Don't invite yourself in. Just do a ding-dong ditch, right? Ring the doorbell, say hi, drop the coffee off, and run. That could be a little crazy. It's okay. Be willing to help others, and get this, be willing to ask for help. There is nothing that will endear you more to another person than if you say, I can't do this without you. Can you help me? Man, see if that doesn't open up their heart to love you even more. Or sign up for a community group. You know, we have a mystery dinner coming up where we're gonna open up our homes and have strangers come into our homes. Not strangers, but people from church who you might not have known yet. Sign up for that. What a great way. Show up tomorrow to our baptism at three o'clock to celebrate with those who are a part of your community to be baptized. These are just a few ways that we can become a more hospitable community. And if you remember, don't grumble and complain. And if you feel it starting to creep in, you're doing it in your own strength and not in the power that God provides 
you will not succeed if you try to do this on your own. Yet, God does command us to do it. So let's together behold the glory of our Lord and Savior so we can become a more hospitable community. Amen? Let's pray. Father, God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for what you're doing in our church. Lord, I know it's hard to sit still. (laughs) God, that's an area where we can be more hospitable too, is by sitting underneath the teaching of your word, by participating in worship, by making this the sort of church or experience that is good for everybody. So God, help us to be considerate of others. Help us to think more highly of the person sitting next to us than ourselves. God, help us to grow in this. And Lord, I'm confident that you'll do it because your word says that you will in the lives of those who love you. So help us to love you more so that we might love each other better, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.